I'm Dustin Harder, and this is Keep On Cooking. Hello there, and welcome to Keep On Cooking, the world's only podcast dedicated to plant-based cookbooks and learning more about the authors who wrote those cookbooks. I'm your host, Dustin Harder, and I know you've heard a lot about him, but don't worry, it can't all be true say hello to the producer of the pod and my sweet husband mr rosetti how you doing i'm good how are you i'm great i'm great i'm right he's great mm-hmm. anybody did you have frosted flakes growing up yeah of course i did i had all the sugary cereals oh, growing up just literally sugar I mean, and they're still out there, just sugar, sugar, sugar. Delicious. We can't keep how uh, we can't keep house in the cereal, cereal in the house. Everyone out there, nope. Because we just, I mean, that probably Won't stop eating. That comes from childhood. That's like a thing for sure. Ooh. We did go out this week to eat. We oh, went we to did. a place here in Atlanta called My Parents Basement. They've got a, a sectioned vegan menu, uh, which we always appreciate. Yeah, it's not like you, you don't have to look for like the tiny symbol or, or where it says vegan. You're like, it. does it mean vegetarian? Does exactly. it mean vegan? And then you vegan can't find section. a key on the menu. Does that Ugh. drive anyone else crazy? Drives me absolutely bonkers. But Anybody. they had a, a vegan section. We had they a sure delicious did. Reuben and a delicious gyro with fries and tater tots, and we were actually very very hungry. <laughs> So we also had a hummus platter. Uh, we went all in, darlings. That's called, and my... it was fast. Yeah, yeah we yeah, ate yeah. that fast, fast, and it was delicious. That was called my parents' basement that we went to here in ATL. It was a little has a little bar and arcade games. And David, darling, after what event did we dine on these tasty bites? We went. Um... Uh, to a pottery class. Like, we yeah. took a little pottery class. David got I me had a little, surprise little pottery class for my birthday. For, for you know, a little new experience we've never done. Um, so it was we, fun. Yeah, it was super fun. A lot more, I think, a lot more involved than we thought. We were like, oh, we're just going to kind of spin this thing around on the wheel and kind of mold it. And there's just a lot more that goes into it, which is oh, kind I of th- fascinating. I, was, I thought, I well, I mean, I guess I didn't know all the details, but. I knew I was gonna have to get into it. Oh no, we got we were like digging into it, but we, we ended up ap- with aprons are in the washer now. They are, they are. Um and we got definitely very very muddy. But it was cool. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, and I did do some testing this week. We, I did a little veggie stove fry. Our refrigerator is actually broken. Broken. So uh, testing was at a low this week, but I did get a nice uh, stir fry done. But that allowed oh, me so good. The fridge being broken allowed me to focus on final edits for some recipes I'm working on with the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. But David, let's get into it. Let's Ooh. do a book flip. We've got uh, Lisa Anjarami on today. She is the author of two books: Wait, That's Vegan, and The Vegan ABCs. First one we're going to get into here. David, you got it over there. It's called Wait, That's Vegan? Wait, That's Vegan? I love this picture on the cover. It's these little oh, yeah. tasty, delicious looks meatballs. Looks like little spaghetti and meatballs. Looks delicious. Yes. I'm flipping to a <laughs> lobster mushroom mac and cheese. Yes. Did we talk about that with uh, Tabitha, about those we lobster about mushrooms? We talked about Tabitha Brown makes that. And also, we get into it in this interview, that specific. Oh, this recipe too. Ooh, classic New York cheesecake with a berry compote. It looks so delicious. So delicious. Vanilla cupcakes look oh, absolutely this has delicious. Like all the things when you're like, oh, I'm going vegan, I'll never have that. It has all the things you want in here. Fettuccine Alfredo, salt cured beet carpaccio. That looks stunning. That looks really, really pretty. Gorgeous. Beets are so pretty. What a I lovely, love lovely book. I love it. Uh, I did make the meatballs out of this. I talked about it in an interview, uh, but I did make the meatballs mm-hmm. after we chatted that are on the cover. They are delicious, as delicious as they look. And listen, let's talk about Lisa. Lisa Don Anjarami lives in New York City with her husband and son, a longtime vegan. She is the author of Wait, 
that's vegan and the vegan abc's cookbooks and the creator of lisa's project vegan a blog chronicling her vegan cooking adventures lisa dawn holds a certificate in plant-based nutrition from e cornell and graduated from the ruby online culinary school that's ruby r-o-u-x be.com as a certified plant-based professional and from the essential vegan desserts course. Now that's something I'd like to mention. She is committed to expanding awareness about veganism by making delicious food and believes that anyone can learn to love and learn to cook with vegan ingredients. That's right. She can be found at Lisa's project vegan.com and at Lisa's project vegan on social media outlets. But we have her right here right now on the keep on cooking pod. Please welcome Lisa Dawn on Jerami. <laughs> She's got you covered from A to Z. It's the blogstress with the mostest from Lisa's Project Vegan, two-time cookbook author, Lisa Dawn Andrami. Welcome to Keep On Cooking, my dear. Hello. Thanks for having me, Dustin. Yes. I'm so glad you're here. I love both of these books, so I'm really excited to talk about them. Now, before we dive in, though, I got to ask you our icebreaker question. What is a book you own but have never read? Well, I'm looking right over here on my nightstand and I have two books, Vanderbilt, the new one by Anderson Cooper. Okay. And Obama's book, A Promised Land, which they're just, I cannot, it's just too long, but it's sitting here ready to go. I want to read both of those books. What is the, (laughs) is the Vanderbilt one? Does that like, is that like a memoir of his or what does that go into? Well, apparently he wrote it for his son. It's about the whole Vanderbilt uh, okay. dynasty and right. its history and it's fascinating and intrigue and all kinds of exciting things, but I haven't started it yet, but I will. I'm, I'm, I'm both of those. Some very interesting to be mine is, and I looked around, listen, I've got so many books I haven't read, but um, a friend of mine gave me the war of art uh, break through the blocks and win your inner creative battle. So uh, I think this is this is like a good friend of mine. We we talk back and forth all the time of like when we're creating things, and she was like, "You need to read this," but I haven't read it yet. Perhaps when I'm super blocked, that will be the time. <laughs> that sounds like the right time for that one. Yeah, I think that might have been when she gave it to me, and I was like, <laughs> eventually, I was like, "No, the wall is is up. I'm I'm free. I'm I'm creatively flowing." But I'll probably need it sometime or another. Of course, you know. <laughs> well, tell us a little about yourself a bit. Where did you grow up, and was cooking part of your life? And at what point did things shift to the vegan landscape for you? Well, I grew up on Long Island in, uh, in New York, and uh, I've always been in the kitchen since I'm a little since I was a little girl. I was in the kitchen on a step stool with my great grandmother when she was making kreplach and uh, I was making eggplant parmesan with my dad and, you know, going to the store with my mom to buy all the ingredients. So it was always a big part of my life. We made the holidays, whether it was the Jewish holidays or Thanksgiving, it was just always a big part of my life. I have to say when I was growing up though, that meat always kind of, um, I don't know, freaked me out. I didn't really love it, love it, but you know, it was there and I had to eat it or else there was nothing to eat. You know, my, that was what sure. my mother made. Yeah. But as soon as I went to college when I was 18, I went to UCLA and I was, I was basically like, I'm not going to eat anything that I don't really know where it came from. I guess that was my way of saying, I'm just not going to eat meat. Cause I just figured if, if my mom made it, then I knew something about it was okay in a way. But so I went to UCLA and I basically, I guess I was a vegetarian more or less. And then uh, I started practicing yoga and at some point somebody handed me that book diet for new America. 
Okay. And I read that and it was like, you know, don't eat meat and fish and eggs and dairy because of the animals and the planet and your health. And then I was like, oh my God, I have literally nothing to eat. I can just, I have to basically start with the, I can eat grass. That's it. I can just right. eat grass and I'm good to go. And so basically that started my whole vegan journey. And I went through the whole, you know, all right, I'll just be vegetarian or, you know, maybe I can just, you know, have meat once in a while. And then just one day I just said, you know what? I'm done. And I made myself a big bowl of shrimp scampi and that was it. And then the next day, it was actually New Year's Eve, uh, 90, um, late nineties. I don't remember what year. That was, you're saying that was the last non-vegan meal you had was a big bowl of shrimp scampi. That's right. Because, you know, garlic, garlic and butter, delicious. And, um, and, you know, shrimp, I guess was my thing. And, you know, like my, when my parents, when we would go out with my family and my parents, we would go for fancy meals. We would have like lobster and shrimp. That was like the fancy Mm -hmm. thing. So that was my last hurrah. And then all of a sudden now I'm like, okay, I'm vegan. So now I got to start all over again. Wow. Well, and, and then, so we have Lisa's project vegan, which is your blog. So when did the blog come about for you? Well, I was home. My, my son was born in 2009 and I'm home with him while he's sleeping. And I started, you know, cooking and, and I was posting my pictures on Facebook, I guess. And an old friend from high school was like, Oh, is this a blog? And I'm like, Ooh, what's a blog. And so I was like, all right, sure. So I like wrote a couple of recipes and put them up on my blog. This is like before Instagram. This is before, you know, sort of sharing was a thing. And I just started showing like, oh my God, look what I made. Oh my God, I made creamy sauce out of cashews. Aren't I amazing? Look at this. And then, you know, and then all of a sudden it just became a thing. And I, I really, while my son was sleeping, I was basically in the kitchen teaching myself how to really elevate my vegan game. And it just took on its own life. And I just had that blog for a very long time. And then the books came about. That's sort of how that all happened. So great. And everyone, the blog is fantastic when you go to it right now. So it's lisasprojectvegan.com. And when you go to it right now, she's got a roasted cauliflower with olives and capers at the top that I'm just drooling over. Like, I want this so bad. It's like all my favorite things on one sheet pan, it looks like. It looks delicious. That is a good one. It's, it looks so good. Well, what was the first vegan cookbook you ever owned? Can you recall? Yes, it was Veganomicon. Veganomicon. Yeah. Yep. I remember going through that book and being completely freaked out. Like, what is <laughs> it? What, what am I supposed to do with this? Oh my God, I don't know anything. And then I made these, these millet broccoli croquettes, or I tried to anyway. And it was just like a complete... I had like a pot of, of millet that wasn't, it was not cooking right. I didn't know what I was doing. And I literally threw the whole thing out, put the book away and didn't cook for a while until I worked up the courage again. But that was my introduction. And now of course, Issa is like my idol and I've met her and I've worked with her and I eat in her restaurant all the time. And, yes. but back then it was just like, holy God, what am I getting myself into here? Well, it's so interesting. That book is a lot, a lot of people, that's their first book. And it's really actually, and I love the book. It's an overwhelming book though. It's a very big book. And there's like so many recipes on one page. Right. And I just, someone got it for me as a gift. Maybe like I'd been vegan for a few years and I had this cooking club we were doing and a a good friend was like, here, I got you this book. And it's, you're, it's, you're taking so much information at one time. Right. So it's a, it's a lot, but it also with it being overwhelming, it has like all the information you need it's a fantastic first book 
Well, right. And also the original version there, I don't think there were pictures for everything. That was probably one problem back then because if I didn't have a visual, I didn't know what I was doing. But also, I also wasn't really familiar with all of the sort of vegan ingredients that you kind of need to make the magic happen. Because the truth is, broccoli is broccoli, millet is millet. But if you don't really know how to flavor it up or just like the right cooking technique, you're just, you're screwed. Even if you're, even if you are vegan, if you don't know what you're doing, it's so confusing. So so true. So true. Um, well then we've got your books. So let's dive into your books. Your first book was Wait, That's Vegan came out in 2020. Is that correct? It came out at like, uh, like three days before the pandemic started. Oh basically. my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then your second book, the vegan ABC's cookbook. So that just came out this year, right? Right. That came out in June. So mm-hmm. you did two back to back. My goodness. Well, let's dive in a little bit to wait, that's vegan, plant-based meatballs, burgers, steaks, and other dishes you thought you'd never eat again. Uh, I love this subtitle because our emissions align uh, 110% with a title like that. Uh, my goal when I started cooking professionally was simply to show people what little sacrifice there is, if any, and that it's actually a very inclusive style of dining. So what fueled you most to write this book? I mean, it really started with my, my desire to show people that if you like shrimp scampi, you can have that because it's really about the sauce. It's about the garlicky, buttery wine sauce. So if you think about what can we put that on? Hey, let's put it on chickpeas and we have chickpea scampi. And by the way, you can put it on tofu if you want to, or you can just put it on broccoli for that matter. I mean, it's really a matter of like, so for me, it was all about nostalgia. I have a lot of food nostalgia. Like I said earlier, you know, I grew up cooking with my mom and I love the whole getting people together and eating food. And I like food that sounds familiar. So scampi sounds familiar. So how can I make that vegan? Or how can I make um, a cob salad vegan? Or how can I make banana bread vegan? How can I make things that sound like what you would want to eat just without the animal products in them? Yeah, absolutely. I'm the same way. And I think that speaks to a lot of people who are just trying to figure out the vegan, the vegan thing. They're like, well, how right. can I have this? And and thanks to people like you and books like these, you're like, well, like this, this is exactly how you can do it. Uh, we start things off with a breakfast and brunch chapter with some basics like scrambled tofu and mini banana bread loaves. But then things get kicked up a notch with a Meyer lemon ricotta pancakes and broccoli leek frittata and this avocado Benedict with hollandaise sauce. Brunch is everyone's favorite. What is a favorite of yours from this chapter a favorite brunch item i uh i don't know i'd have to pick between the avocado benedict and Mm -hmm. the carrot locks because Mm. to me first of all the if if you if you're if you're not using kalanamak which is black in indian black salt yet which is the eggy salty flavor everybody has to go get a bag and start using it because if you miss eggs this is the only way to make it happen and i love that flavor and so especially when you just literally make, you don't even cook. If you don't even cook it, it like does not reduce the flavor at all. So in my hollandaise sauce, I literally just mix it in with the, I think I, it starts with cashew cream. I have Mm. to go look at the recipe, but it is, yes. Right. So it is just super creamy, super eggy, and you can really put it on anything and it's, I could lick it off the spoon and it's delicious. So for me, that's like my number one. And well, it's my equal number one to my (laughs) carrot locks because I grew up in a Jewish household and we had, bagels and locks, you know, for every Jewish holiday and on the weekends. And so when I created my carrot locks, to me, it's like the perfect vehicle because really when you want to eat a bagel and cream cheese, you need something to put on it with your, with your, the vehicle for your capers and your dill and your onions. And so Mm -hmm. there it was. And 
So for me, I put that platter out and it's like, it's beautiful and it looks so familiar and it tastes really good. Yeah, that's great. That's delicious. I, I love uh, the colonomic. Everybody listening, I've talked about it on this podcast before. I mean, I even put it in, like, if for some reason I have, like, the just egg in the house, I'll even put a little pinch in there to, like, add the flavor to that. Uh, it really does punch anything up that you want to have that eggy flavor to. It's such a fantastic ingredient. Uh, next chapter, we get into salads and sandwiches. Vegans don't eat only salad, like everyone thinks, <laughs> but I can speak for myself when I say that I do love a salad. Uh, you have a straight-up cob salad in here that I'm all about and sandwiches are my best friend as well if I were coming over for lunch Lisa which one day please have me for lunch uh (laughs) what what sandwich from here would you make for me we'll be back after a quick break hey bar and girl fans it's Jim with Madhouse Bar Talk where me and my co-host sit around and talk about the things going on around Madhouse Bar and Grill in Elyria, Ohio The whole conversation is unscripted, uncensored, and unedited. Anywhere where you stream podcasts, just remember, Madhouse Bar Talks, baby. Okay, well, we probably have to have the... I'm going to go with the corn tempeh ribbons on rye because Mm. my first, you know, when I first became vegan, it was like, I didn't really know anything. And I went to Angelica's kitchen back in the day when it was, you know, one of the best, right. So sad that it's gone, but I had a tempeh Reuben there and I was like, Oh my God, first of all, sauerkraut on a, on a, on bread with the Russian dressing and like this, this replacement for meat is delicious. So I, that was like one of the first things that I perfected. And so I would probably make those because I feel like it's a familiar and it's, it just feels like a comfort food. It's so, so good. Angelica's let's take a moment. Everybody who's listening, who's not in New York, Angelica's was a restaurant in New York. It's no longer there, but uh, very celebrated by vegans for a long, long time for all the delicious things they offer uh, or offered. Is there a sandwich in here that is good for the road or to travel with or for like a picnic? Is there a sandwich you would suggest for that? Well, when I was growing up, it's funny that you asked that. When I was growing up, when I went to sleepaway camp, my parents would always bring egg salad and tuna fish as like our picnic food. Mm -hmm. So in this book, I have my eggless egg salad, which is made out of beans with a lot of kalanamak, back to that that wonderful ingredient. And I have my deli chickpea salad, which basically is like my tuna salad replacement. So those two, and of course, you know, vegan mayonnaise does not spoil regular mayonnaise. So, you know, that whole picnic problem that people have, like here comes the sun and now we can't eat anything. So those are my two go-tos when it comes to going out and having a picnic on the road. And you can have them, you can do it on bread or you can just do it as a salad, you know, whatever. Delicious. And so many problems eliminated with vegan ingredients here. I mean, look at that. (laughs) Just look at that. Delicious. Yeah. I'm always looking for, uh, you know, road trip food or stuff to take to the park or things like that. So that those are really good suggestions. We've got the main dishes chapter. It's the next and largest chapter. And for good reason, you leave no page unturned here. Some of my personal favorites like fettuccine Alfredo, lobster mushroom mac and cheese. Tell Mm -hmm. us about the lobster mushroom mac and cheese. Well, I mean, listen, a play on words is always fun, right? And so when you, you know, I'm very inspired by Ina Garten. You know, she makes, she looks like she makes, you know, Ina Garten from the Food Network and all her cookbooks. And she makes what appear to be fancy things. But if you actually look at her her cooking technique, it's actually pretty simple. And she had a lobster 
a lobster mac and cheese. I'm like, I can do that. So I found lobster mushrooms, which are not that easy to find. I have heard from a lot of readers. They're not easy to find, but you can order them on Amazon, which you can order anything in the world, I guess, on Amazon these days. But so basically lobster mushrooms have this orange look to them. They have this orange color. And also they oddly have this like seafoody flavor and aroma to them. Okay. So, and the texture is also chewy. So they're like the perfect, um, replacement for lobster in uh in a mac and cheese style dish and so they, they you cut them in pieces they look they literally look like lobster pieces they taste like a reminiscent of lobster and you mix it in there with your cheesy sauce and boom you got lobster mac and cheese nice i, I always want to explore mushrooms more i feel like i don't i haven't gone down that road enough because i've never even heard of the lobster mushroom and now i'm very very intrigued is oh, there yeah. and i'm putting you on the spot here but is there a mushroom that you would sub out for the lobster mushroom if you like just really wanted to make this mac and cheese and have some sort of like chewy lobster texture in there is there something you can i mean listen out? i think yeah, I mean, shiitake mushrooms are always right. a good sub. You know, they definitely have a deep umami flavor, like a really rich flavor. They could mm-hmm. even be a little too rich for that. Um, you know, you could do a fun thing with like king oyster mushrooms and you can kind of make yes. them like scallops and, and throw chunks like that in. I mean, the real the real issue is more adding flavor and fun to a dish. Like, I feel like all vegans... If you're not vegan yet, you're going to find out that when you become vegan, vegan mac and cheese is like the holy grail of like vegan cooking. Everybody wants like a creamy, delicious replacement. Am I right? I mean, it's like, there's probably a million different ways to make a a fun, creamy vegan mac and cheese. And so in this case, if you don't even have the lobster mushroom, just leave them out and just have the mac and cheese part. Absolutely. I mean, mac and cheese has been my like go to th- ever since I was vegan, I was like, well, I've got to make the perfect mac and cheese. And now every cookbook I write, I'm like, okay, well, what's the mac and cheese going to be this time? Uh, <laughs> and you, you did a review for Robin Robertson's, uh, what's the name of the mac and cheese book? Is it just called mac and cheese? What's I think, I think it, yeah, I think it's mac and cheese or the, the vegan mac and cheese book or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So for everyone listening, of course, Robin Robertson, queen of vegan cookbooks, uh, there is a dedicated vegan mac and cheese cookbook. It's actually on an imprint of my publisher. And I was thinking about doing a mac and cheese cookbook. And I kid you not, I I was like writing one of my books and I was like, oh, I think my next one's going to be a mac and cheese book. And then she literally dropped that book and I was like, just kidding. Yeah, she gets there before everybody. She's brilliant. 100%. So I'll also write up my alley in this. You've got stuffed shells with herb ricotta, crabless cakes. That would be on my husband's list to make for Mm -hmm. sure. He makes like crabless cakes from every vegan cookbook. He's like, oh, I'm going to make the crabless cakes. What are a couple recipes you've served up from the main dishes? Oh, I also want to mention before I ask that question, the cover has these mm-hmm. delicious looking meatballs on them. It looks, this plate of pasta with these meatballs looks so tasty. What are the meatballs made out of in this book? They're made out of tempeh. Yes! And they are, honestly, I think they're the most popular bo- uh, recipe from this entire book. They're super easy to make. I mean, listen, the my second book, which I know we'll get to, there's a whole chapter on tempeh if people don't know what it is or how to work with it, but it is a super fantastic, easy ingredient to work with once you understand how to work with it. And you just, just like making meatballs. I made meatballs with my mother every week growing up. And so this is like almost the exact same thing. You put the flavors into it. You got your Italian seasoning, you got your breadcrumbs, you got some cheesy nutritional yeast in there, some parsley, you mix it up with the meatballs, uh, with the tempeh, you form them into meatballs. And what I like to do is I like to bake them off. And then I like to then reheat them on the stovetop because I think they get 
they just cook better that way. And then you get like a nice char on the outside when you sort of fry them up in a pan, but also they freeze really well. So I like to cook them, uh, bake them and then freeze them so that I have them all the time, but they are, yes, they are by far the most popular recipe from this book. Look at that. She's giving you some tips, everybody. I actually, I have some tempeh in the fridge. I might make these tonight Mm because it looks so tasty. And do you use berries tempeh at all? Of course I use berries. Yeah. Hello. Oh my gosh. Please. So I'm in Atlanta now. And um, when I was in New York, though, if you're in New York and you're listening, get berries tempeh. It's the best tempeh. It's so delicious. So good. I used to go downtown to get it at the, um, there was a yoga center that had it on like 13th street or something. And then they closed. So I have to actually order it from Barry. So I literally get a delivery like 10 eight ounce blocks of frozen tempeh gets delivered to my apartment building and I throw it in the freezer. So I have basically months of worth of tempeh so that I can use it at any time. Do you know that berries does, they may not do it anymore, but when I was going to culinary school at the natural gourmet Institute, we had like, there were all these there, you know, there was like a board that had all these things where you could volunteer, do different things, but um, berries had, you could come volunteer to like help make the tempeh. So you can actually (gasps) like see how it was made. Is that true? I don't know if it's still true. I remember I tried to set it up once and like scheduling got really difficult just because of me. Cause I'm a hot mess, but like they had like all these different, they have different windows. You can come volunteer. I don't know how it is now, you know, pandemic and everything, but mm. I, if you are interested, I would keep your eye on that. Look it up on berries, uh, Oh, I'm going to email my contact, my order. Yes. Man. I'm going to find out what the deal is. Of course. You Thank you. What? Tell them who you are and you love the tempeh. I'm sure they'll let you in and see how it's made. Uh, so we've got, what are a couple of dishes in the mains chapter here then? Like, what are a couple that have been crowd pleasers for you? We know the meatballs are popular. What's a couple other ones that you have served to like a crowd for dinner and they've just gone crazy over that they've loved? Yeah, the easiest things to make for a crowd are big, um, like casserole type things. And so my two go-tos are my spinach pie, my deep dish uh, mm. spinach pie. And my vegetable lasagna, because they serve a lot of people. They are a little, I will admit, labor intensive. But but when you have a crowd, you want to do all the labor beforehand so that you just take it out of the oven and boom, you have this meal that everybody will be into. And it's super, you know, super delicious and fun for everybody to have a delicious lasagna or spinach pie. So those are my two. The cool thing about a lasagna, because uh, you can just you can put it together like literally the morning that you're having people over or even the night before and put it in the Mm -hmm. fridge, y'all. And then you can pop it in the oven. And you weren't like slaving over it when they got there. You can entertain your guests and talk to them. And then boom, you've got this like delicious, hearty lasagna. And everyone loves lasagna. Everyone loves Exactly. Lasagna. And lasagna, everybody is, it's all about the layering. It's sauce, yes. you know, vegan ricotta, vegetables, or not even if you don't want to, you can throw spinach in there. You can improvise anything, but just think layering noodle sauce, cheese, noodle sauce, cheese, and you're good Absolutely. to go. Absolutely. So tasty. Yeah. Well, I have a major sweet tooth. And the New York cheesecake in here looks perfect. <gasps> it looks so good. Truly, I see recipes all the time for New York cheesecake, and I immediately think, nope. Like, I look at the recipe, I look at the picture, and I'm like, no, not nailing it. But this looks light and creamy, and the recipe appears to be spot on with minimal ingredients, but just the right ingredients served topped with, like, it looks like a nice tart berry compote. It looks divine for the classic angle as well there are some chocolate chip cookies oatmeal raisin cookies and even vanilla cupcakes with buttercream frosting if someone just got this book and they wanted to make a sweet treat to take to a party let's say what recipe would you suggest oh my god i honestly i mean 
these desserts on this list in this book are my go-to desserts. So I would say if you like cookies, make the chocolate chip cookies. If you're a pie person, make the uh, galettes. If you are a like more of a chocolate pudding person, make the chocolate pudding. I mean, they're all they're all so good. Dustin, I'm sorry, I can't pick one. There, it's like picking like one of my children or something. They're so. I love that. They're so, and the thing is also that I feel like if you only make the desserts from this book to show people that delicious, you know, food can be vegan, delicious dessert can be vegan, then just get the, just get the book for the dessert. Because I really believe that if you go to a, a party with vanilla cupcakes with vanilla frosting that are delicious, or chocolate cake, or brownies. People are going to be like, oh my God, wait, that's vegan. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know you can make brownies vegan. These are delicious. And then why would they ever not make them vegan again? Well, it's so funny you say that, uh, Lisa, you have a great thing on your blog and everybody listening. This is so true. Towards the end of the getting to know you section, you say, plus everyone who joins us for a meal leaves fully satisfied with a handful of recipes. And then you say secret make amazing desserts. And that is the (laughs) truth, everybody. Like, just take a great dessert to a gathering, especially full of non-vegans, and they are going to be wowed over and over. Like, it's just, it's it's a proven fact at this point. It really is. I mean, just think, like, everybody knows chocolate chip cookies, right? Everybody, everybody knows chocolate chip cookies. If you grow up on, if you grew up on Chips Ahoy or you made the Toll House cookies, everybody knows chocolate chip cookies. You make a good vegan chocolate chip cookie and everyone's going to be blown away. It's just, you're right. It's it's an absolute fact. Proven fact, everybody. Take desserts wherever you go. Well, you close (laughs) things out in this book with a basics chapter with items like pie crust, almond ricotta, all-purpose red sauce, pie pie crust. I said it again. I wrote it twice here. We got pie crust. Lots of pie crust. Is there a, (laughs) a basic here that you always have on hand? Is there something that you've always got in your fridge or anything like that from the basics? Yes. I always have mustard and my red sauce. Because, you know, I make them in big batches and then I just use them over time. But mustard to me, I don't, once I learned how to make it, which was inspired by Miyoko Shinner, of course, another vegan legend in the world, of course, she, I learned how to make it from her book originally. And I made my own version of it. But for me, I put mustard in my salad dressing, my vinaigrettes. I put it in a little, sometimes in my mac and cheese sauces and it's just always there. And I, and I also believe it or not, I give mustard as gifts to people because you're going somewhere for a housewarming. And I just think it's really cute to bring a little pot of mustard with like a little, you know, little tie, tie a little ribbon around it and give them a little mustard because you know, who gets mustard for a housewarming or a party. Oh, so I think it's a fun thing. I might steal that idea. That's good. And it's a whole grain mustard in the book. Is that correct? Yes. I, cause I use two different, I use yellow mustard seeds and brown mustard seeds. And when okay. they, when they, um, break up. And then when you put it in the blender that you, you see the, the whole grain sort of brown and yellow, you know, broken up inside of the mustard. So it's pretty too. Have you ever used black mustard seeds? <gasps> no, they have I, those. I just found them the other day and I, I was making a little uh, Indian snack treat with them and, and they were delicious, but I, mm. I, I had never seen them before. Um, do you ever do like little flavored mustards or anything? I have added sometimes maple syrup to like okay. sweeten it up a little bit, um, you know, just to experiment. But, you know, sometimes yes. I don't, I haven't done it because when I use my mustard, like in stuff, if I need to sweeten it, then I add the maple. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't like worry about it. it's not going to be, it'll be too sweet. So, right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I was asking that because when you're talking about these as gifts, I was thinking about how you'd see, like, I mean, I don't know, you know, those little like gift sets of things around the holidays, particularly, but like they've got little mustard sets sometimes and all this. I was like, Oh, maybe like little cute jars of mustard or something. Yeah. Like a, like a mustard flight. 
Yeah, I know what I'm bringing my aunts for Christmas this year. It's going to be great. (laughs) Well, it's worth mentioning the photography in this book is gorgeous. It is done by a mutual buddy of ours, uh, Alexandra Schitzman. Everyone, you can follow Alex on Instagram at The New Baguette, and she will be on the Keep On Cooking pod later as well to discuss uh, the cookbook for my alma mater, the Natural Gourmet Institute, uh, which Alex had a heavy hand in. So I'm excited to chat about that book. Uh, And now you worked on these with her, right? You were cooking and styling with her so she did the photography but like you were hands-on with her is that correct she did the photography and the styling the girl is so talented i should say the woman right but whatever i'm um if i say woman i feel like i'm talking about an 80 year old lady this this woman (laughs) alex is she is super talented and super patient you don't even understand we did the both books we did them in my apartment in new york city i live in an apartment in new york city everybody apartments in new york city are small and mine is not a gigantic apartment so she moved in one day set herself up in, in the living room by the window. So she had her, you know, her table set up and all yep. of her props set up and everything was neatly Man. organized and her lights and her whole thing. And I would, we set up a set list, like a, a, a shooting list. Mm-hmm. So I knew what I was making and I, you know, prepared things beforehand. So I was all ready to go. And I would bring out a tray with all the parts of the meal. So let's say the, the meatballs and spaghetti, right? I put all the parts on the tray. I bring the tray out to her. She would, I would go back in the kitchen and start working again. She would be out here, you know, doing her thing, selling. And then she would call me out. I'm ready. And I would come look at it and I would be like, oh my God, you made the food look even better than I could have ever imagined. That's amazing. You know, sometimes I would say like, oh, that looks like like a shoe or an ear, like whatever the shape would be funny. And she would move like one thing and boom, it was beautiful. And then she would take the picture. And sometimes she took a few different pictures and then we would choose which one. And then sometimes if we couldn't agree, my son, if he was around, he would be the tiebreaker and he would make the final decision. But it was, I mean, we did the first book in seven days and we did the second book in five days. Yep. Oh my Just the gosh. two of us, me cooking, her oh. styling and shooting. I mean, it was like unbelievable. That is a lot. My uh, best pal, uh, Ashley Madden, she has her own cookbook as well. Everyone, yes. plant-based cookbook. She did the photography for my last two books, Epic Vegan and Epic Vegan Quick and Easy. And she did it all on her own because she was in Canada when she did the first one. And then she was in Taipei when she did the second one. And so we couldn't find time to like match up. She did all the cooking and all the styling. I, my mind is blown. Now, mind you, she didn't do it in seven days. Thank goodness. Bless her heart. She would have had a heart attack probably. Um, But wow. It's such a, it is such a talent. It is such a a difficult thing. All these photos do not come easy. So when you see good photography in a book, like these books both have, both of them have very excellent photography. Know that it is taken uh, some time, loving care to make those photos that way. Um, it does. And they're really there for inspiration. So you can mm-hmm. see what, what they, you know, and, and the, but, but I want everybody to know your food doesn't have to end up looking like this. This is just a way for right. you to see what it, <clears throat> what we intended it to look like, but you don't have to make your spaghetti meatballs look like that. Just eat it. Just eat it. Just eat it. Have fun with it. Just put it on the plate and eat it. Uh, Well, she also did the photography, like we said, for your next book that just came out this year in 2021. Uh, Well, you certainly didn't take much of a break here, my dear. Uh, (laughs) It's a darling of a cookbook called The Vegan ABCs. I love the concept of this. Please tell our listeners about The Vegan ABCs, easy and delicious plant-based recipes using exciting ingredients from aquafaba to zucchini. Give us a little summary, if you will. So after the first book came out, people would say to me, oh my God, that's so great, but I just don't understand tempeh or, you know, I don't really know what you mean by nutritional yeast and what are these ingredients? And so I came up with the idea to do a book based on the alphabet because 
what more fun way to introduce people to vegan ingredients than through the alphabet. So I came up with an ingredient for each letter and we go literally from A all the way to Z and I highlight the most important vegan ingredients. And the truth is, everybody, everything is vegan except for meat and dairy, right? So it's not about... um, it's not, there's not a lot of magical ingredients in here. There are a handful of very sort of like vegan kitchen specific ingredients like nutritional yeast and miso and the kalanama, um, which in this book is Indian black salt because I needed an I and I, and I had something for K. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the rest of it are like zucchini and eggplants and, you know, um, kale and lentils and things that you already probably know, just ways to use them that are maybe a little different or more interesting or a little edgier than what you're normally used to using them for. I love it. And and we go through the ABCs here. I can imagine it was difficult to hone in at times on what to do for each letter. Did you have to struggle a little every now and then of like, oh my gosh, what do I do here? There's too many things or there's not enough. Well, it was like either there was too many things or they were not enough. So it, you just hit the nail on the head because you, I, you can make, so, I mean, I have, I have a whole other book ready to go because I have all these recipes that I could have put into this book of, of other uh, sure. recipes that I would have used these ingredients for. Um, so yeah, it was a balance, but I tried to do things like things that were both uh, recipes that were familiar that um, you would recognize, but more to the point that you would be surprised. Oh, I can make a creamy corn chowder without dairy. Let me, mm-hmm. let me, how can I do that? So I use coconut milk or, um, wow, I have no idea what this ingredient is at all. I don't know. Let's say miso or umeboshi right. paste. And right. it's like, here's a, here's a very familiar dish, you know, sesame noodles, but I'm going to throw in this new ingredient to show you how you can use it. So it was sort of a balance between, showing how to, you know, highlighting an ingredient specifically versus just making any kind of dish that you could find in any book, I guess. Well, and I I love the idea of it too, because it's just like you're saying, where there was like a lot to write about. And then sometimes like, what do I write about for this letter? For the reader or the home cook, sometimes you're kind of like, oh, I have this ingredients. Uh, Like I have kale. Maybe she she did kale for K, which you did, I believe. Yes. Yes, I did. You could be like, oh, what does she have for kale? Or you could be like, I want to learn something new. So you turn and you've got the umeboshi there, you know, right away you hit you hit us up with a, you hit us up with something we have not, I've not played with that much. Uh, I, I, I've, I've written about it a couple of times and I've done a couple of my own recipes with it, but certainly not enough to be an authority on it. Aquafaba. Tell us about the, not your grandma's gnocchi that you make with this and how the aquafaba comes into play. Right. So aquafaba is, you know, a, a relatively newly discovered vegan ingredient. And what it is, is the liquid from a can of chickpeas. And this is like the stuff that you pour out when you pour out your beans from the can and usually you just let it go down the drain. But a couple of years ago, this guy, his name was Goose. He discovered, quote unquote, along with actually, believe it or not, somebody in Europe was doing experiments with it at the same time, that the viscous uh, nature of it and the chemical makeup of it, like the literal chemical makeup of it is very similar to egg whites. And so it really performs the same, um, function in recipes that egg whites do. In my first book, I use aquafaba in my cookie recipes. And over time, what people have done with aquafaba is they've used it as an egg replacer. So people use it in, uh, like for meringues to make meringues or, um, to make like, uh, you know, you top a pie with it or something on meringue cookies. But what I have found in my working with it, that it's not consistent and that it doesn't always, what a lot of people like to do is they like to whip it up like egg whites and and form stiff peaks, you know, like, you Mm -hmm. know, those cooking shows, they have it on the, on the, um, 
on their hand mixer, they hold it up and yep. then it doesn't like float like that. That is not always consistent. So right. what I learned in my, <laughs> right. I learned that what I can do with it is you can take it out of the can or you can even make your own. If you're, if you're making chickpeas and you have extra liquid, if you just, you know, um, uh, whip it up like you would an egg, like, you know how you would, when you crack an egg and you like whip it up to make scrambled eggs, you just use your fork and you just do that a couple of times. If you do that a couple of times in aquafaba, it foams up a little bit and then you can use it to perform egg-like functions. And what I have found after I created my two recipes for cookies in my first book is that the, they're, it's most phenomenal to use when you are trying to make a recipe where really egg whites cannot be replaced with any other vegan egg replacer. Like we use flax eggs, which I have in the book to mm -hmm. do baking. Right. But there's really nothing you can do to make eggs, eggs in a recipe like gnocchi. So I've tried to make gnocchi over the years and you need an egg. I've done it with, you know, the traditional is made with egg. I've done it with oil, just oil. And they always like fell apart a little bit. And one day, mm -hmm. you know, I'm in experimentation mode and I'm like, aquafaba eggs. Oh my God, gnocchi. And I whip out the potatoes and I whip out the flour and I put in, you know, an amount that I would consider an egg in there. It's like three or four tablespoons of aquafaba. The dough comes together. I mean, I was like blown away at how amazing perfect my gnocchi was. So that was the moment I was like, oh, I bet I can make pasta too, which I've been working on. And then when I was working on this book, I'm like, well, what else can I make with it? How about classic macaroons, like old mm -hmm. school, like shredded coconut macaroons? Oh my God. And that's when it really works perfectly. And so that's what aquafaba's got. And in this book, I have a recipe from Mayo also, if people are interested in making their own condiments, but you can also buy that in the store. But this was just a way to show you that aquafaba is not just an egg replacer for baking. It's an egg replacer right. for things that need eggs. Well, what I kind of love too about this book is that, you know, there are some books on aquafaba, but I find if I get something like that, I get very overwhelmed. This gives you like, usually it looks like two to three recipes per letter. So I'm like, oh, I've got like a, a few aquafaba recipes and I'm not too overwhelmed by that. And like, you know, I can sort of take it at my own pace, but I can also look into other letters. I immediately went to a few different letters to see if you covered any of my favorite ingredients. Lo and behold, you did. First one I had to see if you did was miso. This ingredient is finally getting love it should so many people think it's just like miso soup but it's so much more and in this mm -hmm. book you give us miso mustard tempeh with roasted baby bok choy and sweet buttery miso caramel tell us about the caramel darling oh my god listen again i will go back to my 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 theory that dessert is your way into everybody's hearts when it comes to being vegan absolutely and so i use miso to make a salty rich delicious caramel. And I really made my caramel very traditionally. You take your sugar and the water and you put it into, you know, you, you cook it down in a pot until it turns amber, you know, like really what you're doing, you're reducing that sugar down. I use coconut milk, which is from sea, also uh, an ingredient, uh, a star ingredient in the book. And then you add the miso because it gives it that salty punch that, you know, a salty caramel would have. And it comes out oh so good. And you can just drizzle it on ice cream if you want, or mm. you put it in, in the book. I have it in a couple of different recipes, but it is a phenomenal way to, to use that ingredient to showcase it, not just as like miso soup, as you said, but just as something that can really flavor something that you wouldn't think you could do as a vegan. Do you ever, as a cookbook author, do you ever look at someone's book and go, man, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> so I just, I was just looking at Dory Greenspan. She's that famous uh, baker and she has a book. She has a new recipe. It's like miso 
Mm. Miso, miso maple loaf, a miso maple loaf. Uh, so it's like it. a, like a banana bread style, but miso maple. And I'm like, Oh my God, Dory Greenspan. Of course you thought of it. Yeah. So of course yeah. I, I booked, I bookmarked it yesterday and I'm so making it this week. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just love miso so much. And I saw this caramel and I was like, Oh man, why didn't I think of that? In my new book, everybody, you can get a miso garlic bread. So get into it. We love the miso. Okay. You need to send me that recipe. Oh, I will. I will. I will. Uh, and another letter I jumped to in anticipation was Jay, hoping that you did jackfruit because that is also starting to get its comeuppance here. Uh, you serve uh, you serve it up with uh, without a walk jackfruit lo mein and jackfruit tacos El Pastor with pineapple salsa, which I'm here for. I love me a taco. And mm-hmm. I'm sure listeners are wondering if you did nutritional yeast for n and yes the nooch made it into the book with easy cheesy loaded nachos classic crusty mac and cheese and cheesy popcorn one i love some nooch on popcorn and two tell me about this mac and cheese give us the details okay so this mac and cheese which is different than my first mac and cheese recipe because I wanted to showcase, first of all, nutritionally. So you have to have mac and cheese. And like you said, every cookbook that I probably ever will do in the future will always have a new mac and cheese in it because you can make it a million different ways. But yes. this one, I specifically, when I when my first book came out, there's a lot of cashews and cashew cream in that book. And I have a friend whose daughter is allergic to cashews. And I thought, oh my God, people are probably allergic to ca- There are other people that are probably allergic to cashews. I got to make things without cashews. So I purposely made nothing with cashews in my second book for this little girl. But this one is made with, coconut milk because I have coconut. The other thing I want people to know is that I don't just throw an ingredient in the table of contents and then just like let it hang. They're used all through the book. So if you buy coconut milk, you can use it a few different ways, but nutritional yeast goes a long way. So you don't want to overdo it, but a quarter cup of nutritional yeast mixed with some coconut milk and some roasted red pepper and some sun-dried tomatoes and some miso and a little ume vinegar Mm. and boom, you've got a creamy sauce that is just out of this world. And when I was growing up, my mom always baked our mac and cheese with a little paprika on top, which is why I do it that way. In yes. This book. Oh, I was going to make the meatballs tonight, but now you just described that mac and cheese and I might have to get <laughs> into that. Also, you, you make a good point about the nutritional yeast and to not overdo it. I said, I love nooch on popcorn. And there was a time where I, I just overdid it. I constantly like just poured someone and I was like, gosh, not really into this. Finally, I, I was like, you know, what? let me just like, not go so heavy handed. And it was perfection. It's like, you just needed that little bit on it. You don't need to like pour the nutritional yeast on the popcorn. It's just a touch, you know, kiss it. Right. You, exactly. You need a little touch so that it gets in your mouth and like it hits mm-hmm. all the right spots on your tongue and boom, you're like, Ooh, cheesy. Yum. Yeah. It's easy to get excited about nutritional yeast, <laughs> but everybody a, a little bit less is, is a little better sometimes. Uh, a yeah. surprising chapter for me, and you, you brought it up already was the umeboshi with cold sesame noodles and umeboshi roasted cauliflower and broccoli sounds so delicious i was Mm -hmm. delighted that you had this uh tell the listeners about the umeboshi and maybe even get into the details of the cold sesame noodle bowl a little bit yeah so the umeboshi is another really awesome ingredient it's originated from it's like an ancient japanese ingredient and it's just really it's like sort of like miso it has like a saltiness to it Mm -hmm. but it has like a uh, a tangy edge and so it's just a really fun ingredient to experiment with to see oh how can i get like a salty like, you know how you use acid to like kick things up. So this is like something like that. It's just a really great ingredient to make something like, Oh, what is that? Like, why does that taste so good? And so 
my sesame noodles are uh, back in the day day here in New York. There was a guy named Shorty Tang and he made these like cold sesame noodles that really like everybody copied after that. And like the recipe is like super secret. I don't think it's written anywhere, but this is my sort of like pretend way of, of imitating him. And it's just, I use in this book, I use soba noodles because they're made from buckwheat and buckwheat is part of it. it I use, um, in the whole grains chapter. So I wanted to repeat that ingredient, but the sauce is the key and it's the umeboshi. It's a little peanut butter. It's some tahini and a little maple and some garlic and ginger. And it just creates this sauce that is just out of this world that again, you could just lick off the spoon and you'd be happy. Oh my gosh. I'm so hungry right now. I did not eat breakfast before we got on this. And <laughs> was, I'm realizing the biggest mistake. All of this sounds so, so good. So umabush, you is for umaboshi, everybody. Uh, and I can get into it. That cold sesame noodle bowl. Mm-hmm. Well, another mm-hmm. surprise I had, which we've already chatted about a little, but I just want to say it was a surprise, but also like not a surprise. The reason to me it was a surprise is because I always say, to people, I'm like, I like to work with familiar ingredients. However, I feel when you get into the vegan world, there are some ingredients you should just really embrace. And that's the education part, getting to know new ingredients that sort of can elevate your cooking. And uh, to me, it it makes it a little more exciting too. And that Indian black salt, I'm going to bring it up again. I was Mm -hmm. so happy that you put it in this book. And as we've said, it's also known as colonomic, but you needed an I. So we went with Indian black salt because it is by both names. Um, (laughs) It's my favorite ingredient to share with students in cooking classes even. And uh, I just love the sulfuric quality to it that it makes your dishes taste like egg. And in this book, you give us the breakfast sandwich, a straight up breakfast sandwich, a mushroom omelet and avocado toast with eggy tofu scram and quick pickles. So, so good. I love it. Now, what was the hardest letter to write for in this book? I mean, X, because X is like, what ingredient starts with X? There's no ingredients that start with X, Dustin. It was very difficult, but I came up with one because that's just the kind of gal that I am. There's this famous sauce called XO sauce uh, that originated in Hong Kong. And I, I, when I was trying to come up with a, the, like, I think there's one ingredient, like, it's like, I don't even know how to pronounce it, Zigua, which I think is like watermelon in another country, but you know, that was not happening. So anyway, so I came up with, XO sauce, which is really a very, I mean, I don't know, even know the original ingredients are like shellfish and like all kinds of wacky stuff, but mine is made from mushrooms and it's the most delicious. If you like mushrooms and you need a condiment, this stuff is so good. It will blow your mind. You make a batch of it and you're going to be like, oh my God, I can use this on everything. You can literally use it on everything. It's a combination of shiitake mushrooms, shallots, garlic, Aleppo pepper, which is one of my favorites, a little cinnamon and mushrooms. Um, and so you, uh, and the mushroom liquid, I should say, and you, you cook it down and then you put it in the food processor and it comes out to this, like this condiment. And I use it in this book to make string beans taste good because when I was growing up, my mom made string beans and I hated them. And this is mm. my way of making them taste good. And then I mix it in fried rice also in this book, but you can literally do it, throw it on tofu. You can mix it in pasta in noodles. You can put it on anything. It is just, it's outrageous. So everybody, that's the exo sauce for letter X. You've got exo sauce, green beans, and baby kale with exo sauce and XO fried rice. Now, what was your favorite letter to write for in the book? My favorite letter. Hmm. You know, I think tempeh and tofu tea, because 
I just love tofu and tempeh. And I feel like people just give me that side eye when I say, oh, you can just do that. You like barbecue, barbecue chicken, just put that barbecue sauce on tofu and it'll be the same thing. And they just look at me like I'm crazy. And I think it's really, it's not, I'm not crazy. I'm telling you tofu and tempeh are like brilliant ingredients. Yeah. And, you know, and so, and the other thing that I was really, it was really important to me when it came to writing about tofu and tempeh to kind of try to demystify this whole idea of soy foods that, you know, contribute to, you know, breast cancer and all that. And I just felt it was really important to explain that it does not. Um, and that even the American heart, uh, the American cancer association, I should say has mm-hmm. a lot of information about how it, it does not contribute to breast cancer right. likelihood. And in fact, it could be preventative because, mm-hmm. you know, there is this natural, um, as they say, estrogen in, in soy foods, but it's not human estrogen, it's plant estrogen and it's different. And so for me, it was really important to both highlight the ingredients to say, these are so versatile and can be used in so many, so many different ways, but also they're really good for you. They're super healthy. They're a great source of protein. They're like complete proteins. Like you have to embrace these ingredients and it will change your life. I believe. I believe that as well. She is, she is uh, preaching to the choir here, but everybody, I hope you are listening because it is so true. And that is letter T, tempeh and tofu. We've got balsamic tempeh dragon bowls, yum, yum, and lasagna rolls with tofu ricotta. Well, listen, this book is great for when you have an ingredient and you don't know what to do with it and you need a little inspiration. You can pick this up, turn to that letter, and Lisa has you covered. Now, what is a must-make in this book for you, Lisa? For someone that just got the book, what is something they should make first hmm. oh boy um i mean if you in, in the back of the book there's a listing by category of like breakfast you know appetizers sides main dishes so if i was going to look at that kind of grouping i would say uh the granola recipe is super easy super great i make a batch every week it is you know, oats, O is oats in the book. And so if you are buying granola, you can stop right now, make my, it's, I call it the only granola recipe you'll ever need. Nice. And you will, um, that will be a great thing. That's also a good, um, gift you can bring to a holiday party or yes. to somebody's housewarming. So that put that in a jar with a little ribbon on it. You're good to go. I would say my, my portobello stroganoff is really fantastic. Mm. It's portobello mushrooms. It's creamy. I make it with yogurt why yogurt in this book. Um, oh, you know, what's a really good recipe are my yogurt flatbreads. They take five minutes and they're devoured every time I make them around nice. here. So those would be good too. Um, and then I would say, if you want to try umeboshi, buy yourself a little package of it and make the, either make the XO sauce. I'm mean, not the XO sauce, the, um, what are the other things with umeboshi? You've um, got the cold uh, sesame noodles and umeboshi roasted cauliflower and broccoli. Right. So make the first one or make the cauliflower and broccoli because you'll mm. be like, I will never eat broccoli and cauliflower the same, you know. I will never eat again. it without umeboshi ever <laughs> right. again. Ever right. again. Well, that's right. great, y'all. That is Weight That's Vegan and the Vegan ABCs with Lisa, Don, and Jeremy here. Are you ready for your rapid fire baker's dozen of questions? Oh God. Yes, I am. Here we go. All right. Here we go. Let's do it. Number one, food on a skewer or a tiny spoon? Tiny spoon. Favorite spice to cook with? Aleppo pepper. A strength you admire in a friend? Kindness. If you could start a charity, what would it be for? Uh, animal rescue. Pineapple or mango? Oh, ma- pineapple. hundred <laughs> uh, percent. Favorite kind of apple? Oh, um, honey crisp. Nice. You and my husband agree on that. A morning must in your routine. 
Oh, my smoothie every single morning. What do you, what do you put in your smoothie? Oh my God. You want the whole list? I do. I want it all. Okay. It's cashew milk, uh, frozen greens, either kale or beet, beet greens, um, bananas, blueberries, flax meal, cocoa powder, cacao powder, excuse me, dates, and a little peanut butter. Nice. That is a good start to the morning. Good for you. Uh, a little smoothie inspiration for listeners there. Uh, what celebrity would you like to cook for? Cook for? You know what? I got Anderson Cooper on my mind. So Anderson Cooper, because there that guy go. has some serious eating problems. He always eats. Apparently he eats like the same thing forever until he gets uh, sick of it. So I would like to introduce him to some new food. <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite quick meal to make? If you need something fast, what's a go-to for you? Usually? Oh, pa- pasta and sauce. Mm, nailed it. Uh, hot sauce or barbecue sauce? Oh my God. Can I say neither? Absolutely. Yes. Neither, neither, yeah. neither. Neither. Well, let's say favorite sauce then. What's your favorite sauce? I like a, like a good, like a good creamy sauce. So like if I, if I'm really looking for creamy, I'll go, I'll make a quick cashew cream sauce. I was going to say you're a saucy gal. We've discovered this by now as am I, so we can sauce it up together. It's great. Uh, (laughs) Waffles or pancakes? Pancakes. Brad Pitt or Bradley Cooper? Oh, Brad Pitt. All right. Uh, Must have tool in the kitchen. Garlic press. Ah, nice. Uh, And this is a bonus question. You're in Brooklyn, right? I'm in Manhattan. She's in Manhattan. Well, then we're going to change it then. What's your favorite vegan restaurant in Manhattan? You know where I've been going lately? Because everything else closed. This new restaurant called Planta. It's the, they're from Canada. They opened up this amazing place on like 26 or 27th street. And it's like funky and awesome. The decor is beautiful. And they make this amazing torched and pressed avocado sushi situation that you, you need to come here just to have this. It is. So good. Sometimes I just go there and get two orders of that and I'm good to go. Oh, I'm going to come back. It's, I'm going to come home. It's home to me. So I'm, you're going to make me sandwiches and then we're going to go get that sushi. We're going to eat <laughs> Let's do it. It'd be great. Uh, Lisa, you did it. Please tell everyone where they can find you online and on social media. Okay. I'm Lisa's Project Vegan on Instagram. My blog is lisasprojectvegan.com. And you can always get in touch with me through either of those. And uh, yeah, and find my books on Amazon or in the stores, wherever you buy your books. I love it. And I will say these books, they're they're on Page Street Publishing. And usually, I love Page Street's books, but usually they're like a little thinner than this. The quality of yours, they're like a little thicker than the standard uh, Page, Page Street Publishing book. Like they're really sturdy books. I love both of these books so much. Uh, oh, and, thank you so much. Oh, I do. They're so fantastic. And the photos and the recipes, so good. Everybody go get yourself a copy of Wait. That's vegan and also the vegan ABCs. Buy them as gifts for people as well because they really are the perfect gift, especially for someone just starting out in the vegan world who is curious about vegan cooking. Lisa, thank you for sharing Lisa's Project Vegan with the world and for sharing your gifts and talents with us. Thanks for being here today to chat with me. I really appreciate you. Thanks for having me, Dustin. It was awesome and fun. She's amazing. She's I so much her. fun. I love her. She's so fun. And I do remember those meatballs you made. Super, super tasty. And I felt like easy to make. And yeah, yeah. so easy. Um, and then uh, we have uh, her photographer uh, named Alex Scheitzman, um, who took the photos for her book. Yes. You have her on the pod coming up. Yes. Yeah. Which is super exciting. Yeah. She's she's going to be on to uh, discuss the complete vegan cookbook, or as I like to call it, the Natural Gourmet Institute cookbook. Mm-hmm. That episode's going to come out in a couple weeks. Well, it's that time of the show to give us Dish It Out. 
What's oh, Dustin's what's dish Dustin's this week? Dish? Listen, I mm-hmm. want to talk about cashews. We chatted about cashew cream with Lisa in this episode, and I love cashews. They are absolutely magical. However, some people can't have them because of allergies, and I've been doing a lot of work lately in my position as the culinary specialist with the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine on a cool platform we have called Universal Meals. And the whole idea with Universal Meals is that we offer recipes that avoid the top nine allergens, and of course, cashews fall in that category. So my tip this week is unsalted raw uh, sunflower seeds. I've been creating Mm. a lot of things where I would normally use cashews with raw sunflower seeds, y'all. So uh, like sunflower sour cream and cheese sauces, it's been a great swap. So another good one, though not as versatile, is uh, raw pumpkin seed and also white beans. These uh, items help get that creamy, luscious texture you would usually get from cashews when blended uh, with items to make a cream sauce. So these are nice swaps out. Swaps out? Nice things to swap out the cashews with. They are good swaps out. Swaps out. Swaps out. Um, and as a the unofficial tester in the house, um, it's been kind of amazing to see unofficial you... Unofficial, official. Uh, unofficial, official. Uh, taste tester. Uh, it's been really cool to see you uh, do these experiments with the, the sunflower seeds, and they are kind of amazing. They're... They're just kind of like cashews, but like yeah. a lot more people can yeah, have them. Yeah, there is a strange, you know, wa- they don't hold in the refrigerator as well after, like sure. when you make the cream sauce, there's a strange water content separation with them, um, like where the water doesn't uh, emulsify with the blended products. But it's great the day of, and day then the of, day after maybe you the can day shake after it up. Shake yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not like cashew cream you can leave for a few days. Yeah. Sunflower, the sunflower seeds, of course, they're not as luscious and white and creamy as the cashews. They're a little darker in color. But what? when you first do them, they're like, they're straight up like the cashews. Well, I love that. Where, where there's a will, there's a way. You know, yes. As they say. Yes. Uh, but anyway, don't forget to follow us, uh, follow the podcast at Keep On Cooking Pod on Facebook and Twitter. Give us a shout out and tell us what, what cookbook you're cooking from. Any pictures of the recipes. Uh, we love it when you share food pics with us and, and talk about those cookbooks. Yes. We are so happy you could join us today. Please tell everyone you know about the podcast. We love sharing all these vegan cookbooks with you. Do us a solid and share this today with one person, this episode share it with one person you think might like it we'll be back next week with a brand new episode until then keep on cooking and remember you are the best thing that has ever happened to you this has been a muzzy cat production